We're gonna have fun. We are. Darn it, Sage. We're gonna have a great old time. Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to We Have a Take, the what podcast, where we have a take and so can you. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, and today I am very sad not to be joined by my host, Cassidy, because Cassidy has, is going through what a lot of people in Portland are right now. She doesn't have power and doesn't have service, so I am sending all the warmest thoughts out to her so that she can thaw and hopefully get her power back soon. But I do have somebody with me today. I am very excited to have our first repeat guest host, Dylan Sage from the Holy Backboard Podcast is joining me today. Dylan, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Great to see you, Mom. It's uh, it's It's been a little while, but I'm very excited to uh, talk about our wonderful Trailblazers. I am... I really was not expecting to... I don't want to say I wasn't expecting to be this excited about them at this point of the year. Because usually there's a good section of the season that is a little bit dicey. But I could not really be much more pleased with uh, what the Blazers have been doing the last couple of weeks. So let's talk about it. Are, are you feeling kind of the same? I'm I'm pleasantly surprised by how well we've been. Because, you know, when you project some of these games, like, oh, this is a glaring weakness for us. How are we going to adapt and succeed against this team? Oh, we adapted and succeeded against this team. This is wonderful. It shows a lot of heart, and it shows the coaches are willing to adapt to new circumstances. And I think that's one of the major factors that in why people don't don't like the coaching staff is we had a tr- we have had a long history of not being able to adapt, and we're adapting. Joel Embiid and Vuce had bad games to their standards. Two Joel Embiid uh, performances mm-hmm. where he got ultimately outplayed. I mean, he still performed well, but couldn't get that win for his team that, you know, the MVP candidates should be uh, expected to deliver. One of the things that excites me is not just that the Blazers are playing well, but I feel like we're actually learning a lot about mm-hmm. them. Like, they're not just, like, squeaking out with wins and it's like, phew, we, you know, got out of there. I feel like we're learning things about players um, that may be part of the team in the future and players that maybe we didn't know about. So I would love to start there and um, ask you, you know, um, I mean, I guess part of it is what do you, what do you feel like you've learned over the last couple of weeks with the Trailblazers? I, I think your your boy Gary Trent Jr. is kind of special. Because we, we knew about the catch-and-shoot abilities. Like, there's plenty of highlights of him catching and shooting, but him moving into shots, him dribbling into shots, that that type of that type of shooting is special. You don't see that. The, the, the All three facets of shooting, most people can do just one at an okay rate. He's showing the ability to do everything well. So I think seeing his abilities, it makes me feel okay, this guy is, he may be a little short, but he can be that starting three for us when everybody's healthy. Do you think that, I I, I would say that Gary Trent Jr. can get his own shot. Do you Absolutely. feel like he, he's there? Yeah. I think he, he wins his 1v1 matchup pretty well, especially if they're not expecting him to do his step back to that 18-foot jumper or that little hesitation move that generates space. He's He's... He's been shown the ability to create his own shot. 
not at the rate CJ McCollum does because CJ is just otherworldly at it, but it's an ability that we didn't know he had. I feel like Gary Trent Jr. has a a much higher ceiling even than I thought that he did. Last year when he started doing the step back threes, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, you know, year two, he's doing those with like out hesitation, acting like he's been doing them all his life. But this year, like you were saying, you know, scoring with ease from the mid range, you know, he's created a few, he's done a few more things like he'll occasionally go closer to the basket. He's still not like, you know, crashing it. Um, but mm-hmm. I feel like, you know how we've watched Damian Lillard every year add things that we thought that there's no way he could be adding mm-hmm. more. I feel like we're in, I'm hoping that we are going to be watching that happen with Gary Trent for the next several years. And it's crazy that this is the shortest off season in recent history. And he's added stuff to his game. It's, that it's pretty amazing to see how he's adapted to this new role that he's that he's gotten. He's so he concentrates so hard. Like you can just see when he's playing that like every cell of his body <laughs> is just attuned to what's going on and it's I think it's funny cuz like sometimes when you know when he's in an interview or something he sounds a little bit like like you think like when you see like how he comes in with all this swag with these like amazing outfits and he's just like so fashionable and so cool looking and then they put a microphone in front of him and he kind of like isn't maybe as uh uh <laughs> effusive as some might think based on what his personality seems like it would be i just i feel like he's there's something special about him in terms of his intensity which reminds me of the type of intensity that Damian has yeah, he, his mentality is like I have no fear in giving him a big contract because of the person that he is. It's like, okay, I've earned it. I'm going to prove why I deserve it every day. Like, you know, when you when you offer someone a big contract, there's always that worry that they get they get fed and feel, you know, I did this, I deserve this, I don't need to work hard. With Gary Trent, it's like, oh, I expect you to double your efforts now that you got paid. And I, I just uh, looked this up as you were talking. Um, I remember in a holy backboard, I said that Gary Trent is driving one time per game. And I know this isn't that much of a boost, but now he drives three times a game. Oh, And uh, good things happen when you drive to the basket. So he's doubled his, or I guess he's improved on that drives per game. And that's, that's huge because he's dri- he has the ball in his hands more. And when you get deep inside it creates all those passing lanes and he's shown the ability to be a good passer. Yeah. So that, that's more driving than I, than I Mm -hmm. thought that's, that's, that's really good. And that just, you know, the fact that he's somebody that you can toss it to and with confidence think it's going to go in. (laughs) It's just, Oh, that's unbelievable. I mean, it's just as a fan, that's just like so joyful. And, you know, as a franchise, I imagine that's great too, because not only does it mean that, you know, it creates space for other players on the team, you know, it also, you know, I mean, we can't talk about Gary without talking about next year and next. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. It's going to be a thing for until he puts pen to paper that he's in. Oh, I don't even know if I want to talk about that. <laughs> we don't have to talk about that. We can also talk about how Anthony Simons is also driving three times a game. Because remember when, in the first part of the year, 
when he was in, he was sh- jacking up shots from three point. He wasn't even thinking about going inside to the paint. He's driving three times a game, and I know that seems like a small percentage, but when you think about 100% of his shots being either long-range shots or mid-range shots, him using his athleticism and just driving to the basket's huge. I love how much more aggressive he's gotten, especially in the last few weeks. Absolutely. It's so exciting. It, 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 it has to be a stress reliever, too, because when CJ's healthy, if he messes up, he could get pulled in an instant. Now he has a runway of, okay, I'm going to get comfortable and try and affect the game in a positive way somehow. And, like, he he's – I know it's crazy to think he's the second-best athlete on the team. He should be driving more. But we have DJJ, you know, on the team. So – you, you know, you got one humongous outlier of athleticism. So Anthony being able to drive and create spacing through, you know, just going to the lane and forcing teams to react is huge. You know, and one thing that we also haven't seen in the last two years, obviously, because, you know, these guys were, well, not obviously, but perhaps because these guys were young and they were just coming into the league, uh, that they're doing now is they're bringing the ball up mm-hmm. regularly. Um, and I'm super excited about that. And one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, you know, I've heard pretty regularly from a lot of different places, mostly Twitter, but some of the other podcasts I listen to that Anthony Simons is not a point guard. And I agree. Do you think he ever will be? And why? I don't think that, I think he can be a creator with the ball in his hands, but there's a difference between self-creation and creation for others. I don't think that he has the abilities right now to create for others at a high level. And that's kind of what you need from a a point guard is playmaking. I think that he can create for himself really well. And he's shown more reads, ability to make reads off of his penetration. But if you were to ask me, do I think he's a point guard? No, but I think that in spurts he can be. I mean, could he be in the future? I just... If, when I hear it, it, it just sounds so definitive. Like, no, he's not a point guard. No, as every, if he's never going to be change. one. Everything can change about a basketball player and their performances. But if I had to project what position he is, he's he's a shooting guard. And there's nothing wrong with it. Being a point guard is hard. You have to make all of these decisions. Sometimes I, he 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 has yet to show the ability to be a just a decisive point guard yet. Can it happen? Absolutely. We saw that uh, I thought Tyrese Maxey wasn't a good dribbler in college, and he's shown in the pros that he can run an offense. There's things that Anthony hasn't shown us yet and could potentially show, hey, I can make the right reads. It, it's been it's been kind of a struggle to see it right now, but, you know, with a healthy team and more uh, defined role, maybe. But I, I would say that he is a, he is a two. I just think this year more than the last few years has me thinking more about the future in mm-hmm. terms of what's going to happen to Portland after Damian Lillard, uh, you know, isn't the league point guard, which as much as I would like him to, you know, last until he's 43, I don't think that's feasible. And the, you know, Portland's going to need to have somebody come up behind him. And so whenever I hear well, Anthony Simons is not a point guard, I always add silently in my mind, but maybe he could be because yes, he isn't a point guard yet. I, I'm willing to say that he is not a point guard yet, but you know, what if he plays, what if he goes to Phil Beckner and learns, you know, some of the moves he's taught Dame or, you know, something like, it isn't 100% no, but if I were to project. Mm-hmm. I mean, he could 
or maybe Gary could even, they could spend the next off season watching all of the ways that they could be passing and facilitating and giving other people, um, you know, the ball mm-hmm. <laughs> and making those fast decisions because Damian Lillard's not going to be around forever as much as I want him to be. And, the way that Portland's future is going to look brightest probably is if they continue to build from within. I mean, mm. that's that's what we got. So I don't know. I guess I'm just frankly looking at Anthony Simons like, could he be the point guard to take over after Damian Lillard is gone? Not that I want that to happen anytime. I don't want that to happen, though. Like, but Dame's... we can't pretend it's not going to. And I know, so... but Dame's just so transcendently good. Like, I, I have all this trust in the world that he's going to make the right decision, whereas Anthony, it's like, Oh, I hope you do the right thing here, bud. Well, he's 21. I know. And like, I've used this example. I sucked at my job at age 21. I, you know, we all have had these development periods to do whatever we do. You know, I I get it, but it, it, he's, he hasn't shown it yet. And Mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong. Like playmaking is difficult. Like playmaking is the biggest bonus to you in adding value so it's not like it's not like this isn't the most difficult thing in the world so mm-hmm. he has all the potential in the world can yeah. it be in a, in a playmaking manner or a, a creation for himself manner i i would ask honestly have him learn some moves more moves and get scoring himself yeah and i guess i want to like not think that he has the only answer to the future because Portland could find some other young guard who, you know, really does want to be a point guard and has been mm-hmm. working to do There's that. The mentality his... of being a point guard too. Like yeah. he's kind of soft spoken. Like he's kind, he's kind of more mellow in his uh mentality. You kind of want a point guard like Gary Trent to fire up the guys and be kind of like the heartbeat of the team. Not saying Gary Trent's a point guard, because, nah. He well, ain't. I mean, why do we never talk about him as a point guard? Is this because he so, so obviously just loves to shoot and... I mean, there's plenty a... of point guards that love to shoot. I think right. that they're... He, Gary Trent's shown a playmaking upside, but it isn't his best attribute. Mm-hmm. I would want to put him in the spot where he can succeed the most, and I think it's kind of as a shooter, not a not a facilitator. I just, I just think we'll just leave the future open for the possibility for both of those guys. In, oh in yeah, the- I would like both of them to stay on the team for sure. Oh man, the summer's gonna be hard. I don't know. Maybe it'll be really easy. Maybe they'll come to a very easy and quick decision, and all of my hand wringing, which I'm literally doing right now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> we we'll, I'll be for naught, and well, Gary will be like, "Of course, I'm gonna stay in Portland." Isn't he a restricted free agent? We can we can go go over the cap to sign him. So for what he's produced in the year and change, it would be kind of foolish for us to get rid of someone with three levels of shooting potential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just that I I, li- it, I like his mentality. Neil's guy, he mm-hmm. has bias towards his own guys. Mm-hmm. So of course he's gonna think, oh yeah, Gary Trent's got so much more to give. I'm I'm giving him his money. So we love the two young guards. Yeah. <laughs> That's safe to say. Um, why does Ennis Cantor work so well in Portland? I... I think it's a scheme thing and, you know, empowerment. You know, that like Stotts obviously trusts him to run 24 minutes. 
uh, he didn't get that opportunity and that empowerment in Boston. He, he, he feels at home here and is producing at a really nice level. I have this theory that Stotts and Damian Lillard, one of the ways that they're successful is that they're good at letting players figure out who they are and what their role mm-hmm. is, as opposed to like bringing somebody in and saying, this is what your role is. They like mm-hmm. let them come in and figure it out. Especially vets, the the guys that they draft are a little bit more prescripted what they're going to do. Yeah. I think. Um, but, and like, so players who find their way, like Cantor, I think Aminu is another guy who figured out what his role was. Um, who are some other guys who came in and had that kind of success? Um, well, Cantor, obviously, but you know, Harkless at times. Yeah. Harkless, but like Baysmore, like, no, he just, and I don't know if it's maybe his personality was like he needed, he wanted to be told what his role was. I mean, I'm just completely projecting, but I feel like one of the reasons that people like playing with Damien is that he lets them go figure out what to be best and then Stotts makes it work. But that could be just me projecting. <laughs> I, I think that we give them roles that they can succeed in. And then when they've shown that they have the ability to do that and more, they give them more responsibility. So Ennis, you know, initially was just a 20 minute player because of injuries and uh, how brutal they've been for the Blazers. We had to give him more and he succeeded, but it was that 22 minutes a game in the initial part that led to the 30. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I just, every single game, I think I'm like, how does Ennis Cantor just keep being exactly what this team needs? He like, went against Jojo and Nick Vucevic, two of the best centers in the league. And they had basement games against him. Trust me, I know. I lost money betting on Nick Vucevic and Joel Embiid. I I felt stupid because I was, A, a bad fan, and lost money because I bet against Ennis as a post defender. I think as a as a movement defender, he's pretty bad. But when JoJo and Vuce are just trying to post him up, he's got the strength to contest and make that shot really difficult. And we sent doubles and hard hedges at him all game. Yeah, I I guess I was going to ask you like what was it what is it about the way Ennis Cantor plays that is effective? Obviously on offense, it's his ability to offensive rebound. Mhm. But on defense, yeah, I mean, part of it I think is he's just bigger than I think that he is and he's, yeah, he's a, a big load. Man. Yeah, he's a big boy. Is <laughs> it hard to move? But like Joel Embiid is a giant man. If Ennis Cantor is a big man, Joel Embiid is giant. I don't know if like letting Joel Embiid score 35 points is considered good, but like if we, when he scored 31 in the first and then only a few more in the second half, mm-hmm. I guess that is. Well, I mean, you mentioned it in a mocking tone earlier this podcast that he is an MVP candidate. He is an MVP candidate. So him scoring 37 in the entire game, you know, it seems like a lot, but the Sixers depend on JoJo to produce at a really high level. I know you can look at that jazz game and see Ben Simmons have an ultimate ceiling game because I also lost money on that. But you're having a rough year, yeah. a rough season. I have not, but I'm having a very bad patch right now. But, you know, <laughs> a bad week. Okay. Joel Embiid is you know the key to that team, and when you stop him from being that overly producive 
center. It's it, it's it, it's a difficult strain on that Sixers team, especially when uh, Simmons can't shoot. So it's two guys getting shut down because they do best in the paint. So one player who I'm a slightly concerned about his role because it's not what I was expecting, I guess. So like, what do I know? But I'm, I'm not very sh- curious to know who it is. I'm not sure, and I love him to death. Well, not to death. I love him. I'm not sure that we've figured out what Derek Jones Jr.'s role is. Oh, I totally thought you were going to say Robert Covington because you said you loved him. Okay, okay. Well, I love all of them, but <laughs> I just it, it, and you. If you follow me on Twitter, you you see me melting down every single game because we have the slam dunk champion, mm-hmm. and they can't for the light like. For the life of him, he can't get a dunk. Like he, uh, like he misses the most spectacular dunks, and then occasionally he'll get one. But like, I'm so surprised that he's not making more cuts, that he's not more, that he's taking so many more threes than I was mm. expecting. Like, do you think that everything is fine and I shouldn't worry about it, or is that what you were expecting his role was going to be? You know, it's crazy. You, you say that he doesn't cut enough. And I'm like, man, I wish he'd get the hell out of the way more. <laughs> See, I keep thinking he, he's not cutting enough because Ennis Cantor is standing there. Well, yeah, you have two guys that are really post-paint de- uh, dependent. And then you have Damian Lillard who is driving 15 times a game. So it's like when three people are in the paint, it reminds me of 1990s basketball where everybody's in the paint. Mm-hmm. Like our, our, our system's all is based on spacing. So I think that. It's a difficult thing to have him and Ennis both needing that paint time. Um, I don't, I don't think that we're using him right. Earlier when Nurk was healthy, I thought he was in a role that he could su- succeed in. Maybe his future role is as the designated cutter on that second unit where he can do pick and rolls. Cause that was a really nice wrinkle that we had. Uh, I think on the next game, right? Are you talking about him setting picks? Mm-hmm. Yes. Pick and roll. Yeah. I was like, oh, I like this. Yeah, it was a really nice wrinkle. I, I'm sad to, I don't remember the actual game, but I remember him being the pick man instead of Ennis. And then when the dunk champion is running to the rim, you got to pay attention to that. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of like him. Well, one of the interesting things about the Blazers this year is that they obviously have starters in a second unit, but they also mix and mingle a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But I kind of like Derek Jones Jr. with that second group. Absolutely. Um, which may be where we see him once CJ comes back. Mm-hmm. If Gary has uh, earned his way into a starting spot, that could be interesting. I don't know. I just – to be in a place where it appears they have options <laughs> – it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Remember last year? We, we didn't have options. No, it, it, it really is. It's night and day. And, um, you know, let's, let's touch on Covington. Um, I just, oh, man. I just discovered this before we logged on. Since he started wearing his mask, he's shooting 40% from three. Oh, so, I thought he was the worst three point shooter ever. I'm shocked that well, he, since he, since he put on, since he started, since he came back from his concussion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, since then. Positive regression is real? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I get it. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to be crappy. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean, yes, uh, we are all prone to this guy is falling. Um, but, yeah, I mean, and he's just 
he's getting in. He's doing all the things that people said that he was going to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's you lovely. know, like, he's been a professional basketball player for a decade. He was struggling. He absolutely was struggling. But to think that he was going to continue to struggle and this is the guy that we had seemed a little foolish to me. There was always going to be regression to the mean. He's going to be a, an average an average shooter. Mm-hmm. He's always been an average shooter. So I, I didn't have that much worry in, you know, his ability to shoot threes. It's not like he forgot how to shoot. It's not like the Monstars took Robert Covington's abilities and left him as a just straight defender. When the Blazers took on those teams with the big bigs that you were just talking about, mm-hmm. um, I believe – I guess where where I'm going is Robert Covington is a small ball five. Did you see how willing he is to wrestle with JoJo and Boos in the paint? Yeah, I was like, whoa! I didn't know you had it in you. Like he was he was aggressively fronting those bigs, making Honest- that pass really difficult. Yeah, honestly, that was the first time I really understood why you would want to go at the small ball five against a, a big dude. Because mm-hmm. I mean, to me, the logic doesn't make sense because mm-hmm. you're always going to be bigger than somebody no matter mm-hmm. the speed you're still going to be bigger <laughs> mm-hmm. um but when Robert Covington slides over into that that's fun the one thing i'm worried about is our rebounding cuz we're a bad rebounding team without Ennis but if we could manage to get that rebound which is the most important part of defense i'm all about the Robert Covington 5 minutes yeah, are they that bad at defense? I don't know. I haven't looked at that. or at, at rebounds. Um, when last time I checked, they were. Okay. But I, I'm absolutely willing to research it right this second. One of the things that started happening this season, which we hadn't seen for a long time, which I was surprised to be happy to see back, was bigs crashing into each other under the basket. I remember when Ed Davis first came, he Your would beloved. crash. He would crash into everybody, but. To me, that was because they were all being aggressive and they all wanted mm-hmm. it and they were all going to fight for it, even if they were fighting against their own player. And for the last couple of years, especially last season when it was Hassan Whiteside and like nobody even wanted to like deal with getting in his way because it was like, just let him have it. Mm-hmm. I was really <laughs> happy. I'm really happy to see them all fighting for it now. Um, We're a re- worse rebounding team now than we were with Hassan Whiteside. I know. We're uh, right now the 21st team in the league at rebounding. Okay, but you know what? They are not have. 30. They uh, they don't have as many rebounds because it's mm. on Whiteside is not dropping the ball and then getting it the second time. Like, you know what? Leave my guy Hassan. Whiteside. I know Love. that you He's... have a soft spot for Hassan Whiteside. I understand. Gambling sage out here. Hassan Whiteside is great. Forget about his actual basketball skills. He's I... a great fantasy player. I don't want to say anything bad about Hassan Whiteside because all these guys work hard to get where they are. But I swear they gave him a bowl of buttered popcorn every halftime and before every game because he could not hold on to the ball. And so he goes up and he gets the rebound and then whoops, it falls out. And then somebody gets another shot and then ooh, he gets another rebound. It's like, oh. Anyway. And then I was just looking at my phone. Yes. Yeah, and you're like, cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. <laughs> I don't have a problem, everybody. I can quit whenever I want. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, anyway. Sorry, Mom. (laughs) Anyway, I'm not worried about the fact that they're 22nd in uh, rebounding right now. I guess that could be a problem later. What do you think? I mean, it's always a problem when you're not a good – I remember three years ago when we were the number one rebounding team, 
of course, Aminu helped because he's an outstanding rebounder for his size. But, you know, <clears throat> looking at last year's stats versus this year's stats, it kind of is an issue because I remember in the bubble, we couldn't get a rebound to save our lives in some of those games. So maybe maybe team boxing out and trying to get that rebound might be a, a factor for them because I sometimes see guys that probably can't make the move running up court on a, a potential play. Maybe they we need to crash more. And sometimes I think that um, – well, are, are, where are we in terms – I'm like asking like you're my Wikipedia page or you're like your Google for me. <laughs> but um, what about in an offensive rebounding? I bet I you the Blazers might be pretty good in offensive rebounding. I bet they're rebounding. fantastic at offensive rebounding because Ennis. Right. And it's so funny because in some games I notice he gets a whole bunch of offensive rebounds in the first half and then in the second half he doesn't because he's getting straight back on defense. Mm-hmm. And I guess that kind of brings me sort of kind of my last general topic of discussion is the Blazers defense. I'm not going to say that they're like great defenders or anything, but I remember back when um, they were just integrating the defense with uh, Aminu and Harkless and it took a while. Mm -hmm. It took them learning how to communicate with each other and like figure it out. And again, crashing into each other under the basket and things like that. And the way I see the Blazers right now is that, it was going to look ugly mm-hmm. and it may continue. There may be still moments that, that look ugly, but they're ultimately working towards something that is going to work and be enough. Like, I don't think it's ever going to be fantastic, but I think it'll be enough. That's how I feel. It's to fun. answer your question about offensive rebound, rebounding, they get 10 uh rebounds a game, offensive rebounds a game. The number one team is the New Orleans Pelicans with 11.6. Oh, so I, they're probably up there. Yeah, they're they're a top ten uh mm-hmm. offensive rebounding team. And when the difference between one and ten is one rebound, they're a pretty damn good offensive rebounding team. Thank you, Ennis Cantor. <laughs> okay, I lied, I have one more thing I want to talk about before we go into uh sharing some of the takes that people sent in. How do you feel like I feel like Mello is adjusting to his role off the bench? I think that he is a great value because he is so cheap and has provided self-creation when self-creation is incredibly valuable. I think that Carmelo Anthony, you take the good with the bad and you look at that salary and say, oh, if if his name was Doug Smith and provides that much value, we would all be freaking out at the contract that we got. Just because his name's Carmelo Anthony and is a future first ballot Hall of Famer and he has some high variance performances, I don't care. He is providing so much value because he is so incredibly underpriced. Mm-hmm. There's value in it. I know that some people don't like it because he's not a, a good defender always or he's not hot always. But take a look at any roster. And is there a $2 million vet producing at any reasonable level to Carmelo Anthony? Like, if we sign Garrett Temple, he ain't winning us four games. Melo won us four games. Mm-hmm. So that value is just incredibly high. And I, I mean, you take a good with a bad because it's a high variance guy. I would probably disagree with a lot of people. I don't think the bad is that bad. Like <laughs> the defense? Apparently, okay, occasionally he has a poor. He has game. his moments of badness, but he tries. 
Yeah, he tr- well, he tries and he knows fundamentally what he's supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And to me, the difference between somebody who has absolutely no clue what they're supposed to be doing and somebody who really does know what he is supposed to do. And if like he turned it up a notch, it would be, you know, he'd, he'd get it. Mm. Um, like, yeah, you're right. Like the value of that is just, is so tremendous. Which mm-hmm. of the younger players, or do you see him interacting with or being particularly um, useful or helpful to any of the younger players on this team? I mean, I, I think, think he, if... I think he bonds with Gary the most, mm-hmm. but I, I think that's because he sees the the developing skill set and like, oh, I probably should help mentor him. Yeah, I'm wondering if a guy like Nas Little Nasir mm-hmm. Nas, I said his. Nas. I know. I called him Naz for so long, and I feel so bad because nobody pointed that out to me. Naz. Yeah, Naz is one of the best rappers ever, so it's like, oh, I get to have Naz references every time he comes into the game? Yes. (laughs) Well, I just thought his name is Nazir, so I thought it would be Naz, but of course Mm. I didn't know because I didn't know. Anyway, I I apologize all over the place. Anyway, um, I'm wondering if just because of the position Nas plays, if he may learn or if if you think that, you know, Mello is just transcendent, he can help add to anybody. <laughs> you know, we don't get to see him at practice hanging out and learning. So all of the guesses that we're doing in this is what the camera shows us during timeouts or after the game or whatever. So I don't know. I, I assume that he's talking to everybody. Yeah. Because – Dude has a lot of knowledge to share, and it would be a shame if he didn't share it with everybody that could learn something from him. I don't think anybody talks to Gary as much as Gary talks to Gary. I love watching Gary talk to himself Gary's a different dude when it comes to that type of stuff. He is. He's something different. He's different, and he is special, and he is – yeah. But I love watching him talk to himself. Are we going to talk about how special Damian Lillard is, or is this just a given that he is the best player? It is just given, but Go. Go for yeah, I mean, Damian Lillard is the best player in team history. I, I'm sorry. I know Bill Walton's taken us to higher heights. I know Drexler was fantastic, but this dude right here has just been otherworldly good. And to think about him succeeding when CJ McCollum and Yusuf Nurkic are out and we're winning with Ennis Cantor and those rest of those players, like he is unbelievably good at this this basketball game and it's such a wonderful leader like he takes everybody under his wing just like we hope Melo is doing he's the best thing that's happened to the Blazers in a long 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 time oh yeah I I totally agree he is definitely in my book the best trailblazer I loved me some Clyde Drexler I loved Clyde um never been as wild about Bill Walton as everybody else was. You know, he won us a chip, and you got it. I give him all the respect yeah. in the world. Sure, so, a long time ago. Yeah, a long um, time ago. Dames could compete in 1970, 1977, and 2022. Like, he, he's he's that type of guy. And I don't really necessarily like talking about people's demeanor that much because everybody's different. Mm-hmm. But I really like how he his whole philosophy about like it ain't over till it's over and don't celebrate too soon and um how like he just makes those threes and gets back to work without um, getting hyped yeah and like i'm sure if i'm sure if he that's what he always did i would love that too but because he's damon that's who i love right Mm -hmm. now and i like the way he acts um i do like he sure talks to the refs a lot yeah i know I, i know is that okay? I mean, 
sometimes I'm like, I remember Blazer fans saying he never talked to the refs. I'm like, really? Yeah. All right. He's trying to, it, all the best players What's are he trying to. What's he campaigning for? And is it working? And should I just not worry about it? He goes to the line like eighth most in the NBA right now. He he gets to the line quite a bit now. So I remember, I remember people being furious with the amount of attempts he got to the line. Now he's at least working the refs and trying to get those extra points. Like a thing about the Blazers is we struggle at getting easy points and what's easier than a free throw. Mm-hmm. So damn, work those refs and get to the line, man. We need them. That's one of those things I like about uh, Mello is that he cannot get to the line too. That was one of those like sort of longtime veteran tricks mm. that I hadn't figured into the equation when he first mm-hmm. came to the Blazers. It was like, put him in the fourth quarter, you can get to the line. Yeah, it's huge. And he can make them. That's also really, really important. If you can get to the line, you got to make those. Okay, so what concerns you the most let's actually let's do a little preview of because uh, i know you're a pelicans fan so i'm a bigger blazers fan now okay <laughs> now <laughs> you should have just stopped with i'm a bigger blazers fan but no let's talk <clears throat> about um let's talk a little bit about that preview and you know maybe you could bring up some of the ways that uh the blazers um you know maybe uh, could use still work in some areas or areas where you think that they might be um you know need more attention I, I think the Pelicans are the worst defense at uh defending the three-pointer. So that type of sh- – the open three is what we need to hit at the – that's the most important thing. The Pelicans are an awful defense. For a while, they had a really respectable defensive rating, but that's because teams missed really open, easy shots. So Blazers have to focus on that outside shooting. They're going to get a lot of open threes, open attempts. They're a bad defense, so you gotta attack the basket, create those passing lanes, and kick it out to open shooters that are confident and ready to shoot. The Pelicans are one of the worst teams in terms of spacing. You let Eric Bledsoe and Lonzo Ball shoot. Because that's, that's what the goal is. You've let those non-shooters shoot as much as you want. That's what teams did to us when we had Al Farouk and, and uh, Mo Harkless. They shot a lot of attempts. And if they made it, we won the game. And if they missed, we lost. So know your personnel. Know who's a shooter, who's not. J.J. Redick, you don't want to let get hot. You don't want Brandon Ingram to get hot. But those non-shooting point guards, absolutely. It's a it's a very weird constructed team. So attack them, shoot threes, and collapse that paint so Zion can't manufacture space against us. So, but what happens, not just in this game, but in other games, if Blazers aren't hitting threes? What's their next best plan of attack? I think Dame has to get into that paint. He drives 15 times a game. I think good things happen when you go to the basket. If the shots aren't hitting, manufacture some points that way. Steven Adams doesn't foul that much, but, yo, if you're being aggressive and going to the hoop with aggression, you're going to pick up fouls. It's something that we don't do a lot because Dame and Mello are the only free throw shooters, but good things happen when you attack that paint. So that's what I would suggest, but you know that they're going to continue to keep shooting. It's that, it's that, it's our scheme. We're built on open shoot, uh, creating open shots for our shooters. And the biggest thing is that ball going in. So if it doesn't work, Pelicans might win, but I'm betting against the Pelicans saying that they're going to allow us to have points of the paint and points from three. Mm-hmm. How does a team slow down Zion? 
Do do you think the Blazers do slow down Zion, or they just let him get what he wants and slow down everybody else? I have Zion Williamson hasn't had a ceiling game in terms of points all year. He's very consistent with his twenty points, but he hasn't hit that ceiling where it's like, oh my god, Zion's so good. Portland always they, seems to get people's ceiling games. Oh, absolutely, and I mean, is that kind of their scheme? Really I mean, it seems to me that there's often a plan or at least, uh, <clears throat> if not a plan, a tendency where, you know, players that we aren't expecting will just go off and feast on the Blazers mm-hmm. because the plan is to, like, shut spe- other specific players down and let this other person uh, shoot and see what happens. If Terry and the coaching staff aren't highlighting Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, though, they probably need to get fired because those, those are the those are the two guys you have to really worry about. I'm not worried about Stephen Adams spiking an upside and getting 20 points like that. That's the most efficient basketball in the world. If Stephen Adams wants to take Endes Cantor one v one, and you know Zion, get out of the way, I got this. Or Brandon, no need to take that mid range jumper or that open three. I got this post up against my friend. I just realized it's going to be a reunion at the Stash Brothers. Yeah, the Stash Bros. Well, so who do you think is going to be spending the time on Zion? I, Gary's probably. It's a team effort. It has to be a team effort. <laughs> you know I, don't, I, don't, I don't think Gary's built for a, a 280-pound. He wasn't built for LeBron player. either, but he tried. <laughs> he, you know, and that's what makes us love him. I know. He goes against a matchup where he's absolutely undermatched in terms of size and strength and puts up an effort. And he I think that you'd have to go. Ro- I think it. Robert would love to have a wrestling match with Zion for 48 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um it's all about if he is in half court offense, you send that help and build a wall around the basket and make it as difficult as humanly possible. The problem with Zion as a defender is if he's on a fast break and running downhill, just get the hell out of the way. You don't want to, you don't want to pick so up a scary. foul. Yeah. He's just running full speed at you and he's 280 pounds full of muscle and just anger at the rim. You don't want to, you don't want to mess with him in that scenario. Yeah, he is a freight train, so. He's, he's so big. But, you know, like, as a Pelican fan, it's like, damn, I wish he had counters to his moves. But, you know, he has two moves. He has the spin to the left, and he has a, a breakaway dunk skill. He's done, he scores 24 points a game doing that. That's yeah. pretty cool, but I, you know. And he's I'll, young I'll and he's gonna build more, more so let's yeah. get the wins while we can, while he's still figuring out. Oh, also, out. I would really love it if the Pelicans lost this game. Okay. I think that I think the smart thing for the Pelicans to do is tank. Mm. There's two amazing prospects out there. I would much rather get Evan Mobley or Kate Cunningham or Jonathan Kaminga instead of losing to the the Blazers in the mat like the eight nine matchup. But it just doesn't make sense for us to to try when we're just so badly built. Mm. They are so badly built. Mm-hmm. Good catch. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) Okay, well, let's move to – we've got some questions and observations about a lot of bigs um, because right now the Blazers are down to one healthy big man Um, unless you want – Robert Covington. Well, yeah, so we have Ennis Cantor is what I'm calling our one healthy big man, but we just talked about Robert Covington. Mello has had a moment or – Mello five, baby. Let's get it. At the five, but also we also have uh, Harry Giles out for I don't know how long. That's so scary. Such There's a no bummer. Find able to return. 
Such a bummer. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we've got from Frau Blücher at Susie Suffrage, um, this, uh, Frau Blücher says, how long will Harry Giles be out and how are we going to adjust? I'm so bummed because it was so nice to get, see him get like a few minutes, you know, and you know, he may got, a, may have gotten a lot of fouls, but he got, he got a lot of rebounds. Like there's a lot of our rebounds, you know, that we were talking mm-hmm. about. So what are your thoughts on how they're going to adjust? It's supremely sad that he got hurt. And it's a risk that you took when you signed a guy that's had injury issues his mm-hmm. entire career. You knew the risk. Unfortunately, our power forwards, you know, at the beginning of the year were really injury risk players with Zach, mm-hmm. with Zach and he. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we probably need to bring somebody in that can spell Ennis and Robert at, at, at a big position. And, uh, and it's just a beast. I just cannot can't believe how he. I know. I know. He pick up fouls and get tired. I can't believe that he's playing as much as he's playing now, and mm-hmm. as hard as he's playing and producing as much as he's playing. Yeah, I, I'm agreeing with you that, like, oh my gosh, he needs somebody to spell him. Yeah, he needs to get spelled somehow. And sometimes Robert Covington just isn't big enough to play meaningful minutes at the five. So, I mean, we have a roster spot and. Honestly, we have, we're going to have an injury exemption pretty soon. We really need to bring somebody in that can spell our small big men. Right. Well, let's move on to the next couple of, uh, of tweets that we had that, because they've got some ideas. One from Theo B. That's Theo at Theo 3.B. Uh, will Portland be in Drummond talks to attempt to win now? Now, are they talking about buying out Drummond or they're looking for someone to trade? There's two trade? different, there's two different right. answers I will give. Right. If we trade for him, it's an buyout market. No. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely no trade. He's $26 million. He's supremely overpaid. Yeah. You know, the Andre Drummond has been like a very, there's a lot of opinions about him because before he was known as a defender. He really wasn't. He got blocks and steals. And if you think that makes you a good defender, he, it we doesn't. just had that conversation. Yeah, like <laughs> he's kind of a high. He is a better version of Hassan's white side. He'll get you stocks and blocks and rebounds and points. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you were looking at it, and I'm trying to win a yearly fantasy or daily fantasy, hell yeah, Andre Drummond. But if we're trying to build a a, a roster with a 27 million dollar Andre Drummond, I say hell no. But I think people have gotten so negative about his salary that they undervalue him. So if it was a buyout market, that's an absolute bargain. And I would absolutely love to have Andre Drummond. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He would be, uh, the best me- rebounder we've ever had. <laughs> well, he'd be there immediately to spell Ennis. Um, but would you want Andre Drummond on the roster once Yusuf comes back? That's what I was going to ask is like, how they're, do they're you, they're very, all three are very similar to one another. Yeah. When you really think of it like they're big bodied rebounders with other skills. Like how are you going to diversify? Like, how are you going to play against Willie Colley Stein, for instance, who the yeah. hell is going to guard him when all three are just bigger, bulkier big men? Right. And I mean, he, if, if he gets bought out, he gets to choose where he goes. Yeah. Right. And he might look and go, well, I'd be happy there, except for you got Nurkic coming back and then where's my place going to be? And where's like Ennis deserves 24 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And then he just left. He's leaving a situation right now where there's three big men that deserve minutes. Mm-hmm. If I was Andre Drummond, I'd look and see, well, I've never really succeeded, but let's have a, let me get a starting role, put up 
big stats and hopefully get another huge contract. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He definitely has value in the NBA. Like he deserves to be a rotation player, but he does not deserve $27 million. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's and that's just not a practical way for Portland to. And it's a bad team yeah. building thing if you're trying to trade. Yeah. Like, how do you trade twenty six million dollars to match salaries? <laughs> no, we're not going there. Uh, but I have another uh, one more idea or uh, one more tweet with a couple ideas. Uh, this is from Kendall Bennett. Hey, Kendall at Kendall Bennett sixteen. Um, I'm optimistic considering we are fifth in the West, even with all our injuries. But I'm also still hoping for a move to bring in someone like PJ Tucker or even BG, who I'm assuming is Blake Griffin. What are your thoughts? No on both, and I'll explain why. So PJ Tucker is a very fantastic defender, but we kind of need offense with our defense. And if you look at PJ Tucker's stats, it's two points, two points, four points, 20 points, two points, two points. It's, it's a very high variance in how he performs offensively. Defensively, he's always there. And, like, how are you going to get any production from the four minutes if it's P.J. Tucker and Robert Covington consistently? Neither one of them are consistently great offensively. So I would, if we were trading for an asset, I would want someone more offensive. Um, P.J. is great defensively and, like, culture-wise great, but I feel like he and Robert are very similar in terms of defense, in terms of, you know, variability in his offensive game. I think it would be too similar. Um, Blake Griffin, if his name was Joe Smith or whoever, we'd be really excited about a rotation player that has playmaking and, you know, some other skills. But since it's Blake Griffin, I think that he, it kind of works against him because you think of him being an athletic marvel. And now that just isn't his game. He's a playmaker that wants to stand outside and shoot and won't play that much defense. But, you know, if you... If you think of Blake Griffin as Blake Griffin, you're going to be disappointed. But if you think of him as a guy that's gotten bought out and is on a one-year really cheap contract, he'd be great for you. But I wouldn't want to trade for either. Right. So you're saying no trade, but if – Buy out, I'd welcome it. Yeah. Yeah, either one of those guys. I was – I don't think they'll buy out PJ. He has too much value. Someone will give something up for PJ. I just don't think it would be wise for us to be the, the team that gives something up for him. Yeah, I don't know what his contract is right now, and I don't, I don't think they've talked about buyout for him. But I, I think he wants I have. that long term deal. Yeah, I remember right. Well, According to Wikipedia, it's eight million dollars. Oh, oh wow, okay, that's really so, hard to trade since you know we only have expensive players and cost controlled guys. Right. So we'd have to be something of value. Right, but that is, and he's also how old is he? He's Again, according 30s. to Wikipedia, he's 35 years old. Right, yeah. Well, it's funny because uh, Steve DeWald at Blazers Edge just wrote a piece about um, the Blazers uh, buying – that Blake Griffin would be like the perfect target. Um, I don't know about perfect. Well – I'll let her, I'll let him ride. Well, and I, I'm paraphrasing, but the, the point was that he checks a lot of the boxes for the types of players that Portland gets in situations like this. You know, one of the really big ones being that he is somebody who Neil Olshay drafted. And oh God, you know that's how so stupid, but yeah, I get it. I get but it. No, like, I mean it's absolutely <laughs> the pattern that Neil. Olshay I, have, I, I know. I just realized that I'm like oh, sigh. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I know. I I was like, I loaded that one up, and I was gonna read it and be like, no way, no way. You're just like trolling us. And I was like, oh, yeah, 
Yeah. What was the other yeah. benefits of Blake Griffin? Because I've, wa- I've watched so much Pistons basketball. It wasn't necessarily about the benefits of Blake Griffin. Okay. It was about Blake Griffin falling into the types of player that the Blazers will often trade for. I have seen a lot of bad Blake Griffin. It's, um, it's, it's legitimately some of the saddest basketball I've ever seen. But we've also talked about the ability of players once they come to Portland because they're used correctly. And you were talking about his playmaking. Okay. And what do the Blazers need? They need more guys who can handle the balls and make plays. If Portland isn't going to invest in backup point guards, they need as many guys who can do a few plays here and there. I don't like that you're using my words against me. And even though I forgot what I said <laughs> earlier, um, Dang it. Um, I'm not. We're just having a conversation. <laughs> I think I think when we're talking about playmaking usage rate, it's difficult for me to want to give Blake Griffin the usage rate that he needs in terms to be a playmaker. Like, I, I, I'm 100% on the Dame and CJ deserve all the usage and all the decision-making pride, uh, the, the, the decision-making responsibilities. So to give Blake Griffin, who isn't a good defender, is a shooter only and I will okay. I am willing to give him a shot if it's for the right threes. price. Alright, time to look at his three he's point a shooting. Big dude. Yeah, I don't know how well he's doing it this year, but I just he's remember every bad. time every he's time he comes really into bad. Portland. But that's what I'm saying. That's why I can't believe I'm like sitting here advocating for him. You're but the one advocating harder than me. Um, I know. It's 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 surprising to me. But when you think about it and you think about the He's players. He's shooting 31% on six shots. Okay, so that's, that's not high, great. That's not yeah, as good as Robert Covington with the mask. shots for not that much for productivity. How many assists is he getting? Four. Mm-hmm. Um, 12 points a game, four assists. And I don't know. time to look at my most favoritist amount of stats. Ugh. I mean, I'm in such a positive mode right now that I'm like, you know what? The Blazers could be. They can work someone who's injury riddled. What's it called? They can, uh, whatever his whatever. Uh, they can be stewards of his, um, you know, the thing that Rebirth they're doing. Rebirth of an NBA player. No, what are they saying? That there's, they're stewards of, uh, Mello's legacy. They can be stewards of Blake Griffin's legacy as well. Do you really, do you really want your power forward minutes to be? Co- Robert Covington, Blake Griffin, and Carmelo Anthony. That's, oh, man. That's some throwback shit. It would be really fun. We would I'm... be awesome in 2014. But like you're saying, if it was for a minimum contract on a buyout for the rest of the year, Dustin why the heck not? me, Nas is a fucking beast. So we're recording during the game. Oh, um, we Congratulations to Nas Little. Excellent. I can't wait to go see what that's all about. I know, right? Well, we did it. We, we like had, we talked about all these things. We went through all of the takes that people sent us. So let's go ahead and wrap it up so we can get to watching that game. Sage, you want to tell folks where they can find you and find your work? Absolutely. I am one of the hosts of the Holy Backboard and you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Himalaya podcasts. Um, uh, just search Holy Backboard. And if you like our work, please like, subscribe, and leave a nice comment. You can follow me at The Sage on Twitter. I am, my Abby is a happy panda wearing a Blazers hat, so I'm very easy to find. Thank you so much for having me, Tara. It was a pleasure. I always love talking to you and, uh, I love the Holy Backboard and everybody should definitely, if you have, I'm sure everybody who's listening to this now is probably already a Holy Backboard fan, Aww. but if you're not, 
you should become it. You uh, not only do you uh, get great takes from uh, Sage and Dustin, but you guys have the like best intro. I absolutely love your intro. Yeah, shout it's, out to Dustin for that. I didn't do anything for that. Feels so good every time I turn that on. I gotta tell that to Dustin. That's amazing. Mm. Yeah. Well, anyway, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I appreciate it so much. Uh, that's gonna do it for this episode of We Have a Take. Uh, you can find We Have a Take at We Have a Take on Twitter. And you can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs. Cassidy will hopefully be back with Worm and, uh, you know, with internet and all that good stuff. <laughs> next week. Thanks again for joining us. We'll check you later. Wait! Sam Van Rooy! We forgot to read your take! Hot take! This is the most fun the Blazers have ever been! How could we forget to include that one? We are so sorry that we didn't get to discuss it, but I can tell you heck yeah, that's an awesome take! Thanks for sending it in! See you next time! Bye-bye!